1: Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Karen Gillan first came to our screens as Amy Pond, the feisty and passionate companion to Doctor Who in his 11th incarnation, played by Matt Smith. Since then, she's had a habit of breaking box offices, from Avengers Endgame, in which she starred as Blue Alien Nebula, which went on to become the highest grossing film ever, to playing Ruby Roundhouse in the smash hit Jumanji remakes. In her latest project, Gunpowder Milkshake, Karen plays an assassin. Her character, Sam, is seen juggling between the perilous choice of obeying her criminal bosses or protecting the life of an innocent eight-year-old girl. Well, Karen, you definitely wouldn't mess with your character, Sam, would you? This film features more hand-to-hand combat, I think, than any Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Um, Were action films always in your plans? Are they hard to resist? Are they
0: fun to make? Oh my goodness no action was definitely not in the plan I when I think about the fact that my career has gone in that direction it's honestly funny to me because I just I grew up doing a lot of like local theatre and I thought I would um probably act on stage but I did have like film ambitions it's um I just didn't think that I would actually be fighting people Um I did a little bit of Aikido when I was younger but I'm not really like a you know, a person with, I didn't start off with those skills. So they were definitely ones I had to learn from film to film. Um, But now I love it. I've got a taste for it. I can't believe it. So come on, tell me,
1: tell me what you love, because I know that it's an awful lot of hard work. And I mean, the choreography even, uh, but then, you know, Mm -hmm. the choreography alongside the technology and, you know, so many elements that aren't just kind of natural, organic parts of the acting job.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a different skill set. It's, um, I love I love the hand to hand combat. I love uh, learning the routines, um, and then and kind of feels like dancing or something, you know. When everybody's in sync, it really works well. Um, so that's the part that I love. The part that really scares me is probably the the stunts where you have to like jump off of a building or be you know dropped from the roof of the studio for a little while. <laughs> um, Ouch! Those, those scare me. Yeah, those, those are you're putting a lot of faith in in men who are holding your life on some wires (laughs) and they're always amazing and very focused but there's still that element of fear that I'm trying to get over isn't that what body
1: doubles are for
0: that's what I keep saying but apparently because of bloody Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible maybe they want to see our faces now
1: Oh, for heaven's sakes! He set the bar way too high. Um, I know. I'm like Tom, tone it down for the rest of us, please. (laughs) But seriously, so it requires uh, like bravery as well. I mean, I just always imagined. I remember um, Sylvester Stallone doing a a movie that it was about mountain climbing. I can't remember. It was way, way back. Might even have been the '80s, but possibly the '90s. And and then I I discovered uh, that it was actually he was only about sort of ten feet up, Um, but (laughs) but it was just filmed really brilliantly as he scaled a mountain Uh, so that's not true anymore now you have to do it yourself
0: I mean they can I've actually scaled a mountain too and it was just this kind of big huge piece of polystyrene in a studio um, car park (laughs) but it was high it was high like we had to climb some scaffolding to get up there it wasn't just 10 feet this time
1: Well, look, this is an action film, uh, as discussed, but it has flipped many a trope on its head. The most obvious, of course, uh, being that it's an all female ensemble of all age groups coming together to protect the girl with no romantic interest at the centre. Do you think that things are really actually moving on and, and the action genre has embraced the female gaze and understood that we don't always need a man to come in and rescue us?
0: I think this film is definitely a step in that direction. Um yeah, that definitely attracted me to the project was the fact that it's, you know, a full female cast which I had never experienced before. So I was really excited to see what that dynamic was like and I loved it. <laughs> um and then also, yeah, there's no romantic interests. Um there's not one sexy assassin outfit in the entire movie so it's definitely not, you know, um you know, just made from this male gaze, even though it was made by a male, it definitely doesn't feel like it was made for men at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, the film, you know, is centred around this group of women, but it is, as you've just pointed out, directed and uh, indeed written uh, by all men. How much collaboration was the behind the scenes? Did they want to know when you said a woman wouldn't do that or say that or think that?
0: um they doubt they were very collaborative like extremely I remember one day um we didn't start shooting for a full hour maybe after we were meant to because we uh, the director and who also wrote the script was just saying with us all talking about the lines for the day everybody was swapping lines because <laughs> one person would be like I don't like that and then the other person's like well I love that line okay you take that line um and so there was it was very collaborative and he was very receptive to all of the ideas and thoughts that we had and we kind of figured it out but yeah he wanted to hear everything that we had to say which
1: was really nice I imagine with uh, that many women on the set uh, it must have been quite a noisy one and uh you know also did, did you develop a sort of girl gang mentality while you were making it
0: we totally did you know like there was lots of wide nights <laughs> and it was we had just the best summer ever making this film in Berlin had a really good time um and yeah it was just so fun like Luckily, Lena Headey likes to be very silly and make a very silly Instagram video, which is all I want to do with my life. So I think most of our time was spent doing that. And then we shot Gunpowder Milkshake in between. (laughs) And
1: I read that um, after a very intense day of fighting, you and your co-stars ended up crawling down the hotel corridor after a (laughs) wine too many. Easily done.
0: Right? It's not... (laughs) it's not unheard of surely um yeah that was a very funny night actually i think we just all wanted to have some fun and then we started making this silly instagram videos because everything always ends up with that and then it made sense to crawl down the corridor for one of the videos and i just like had this image of someone coming out of their room and just seeing all of these actresses crawling towards them i don't know what they would have thought but it was quite a sight i
1: think it would have been quite terrifying um, yeah, <laughs> your, your role playing Nebula in, in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy required um quite the transformation, full body blue makeup and, and for you to shave off your, your red hair. Do you like that sort of transformation? You know, when you have to radically change how you look for a part, does it does it liberate you in a way? Oh, it really does. That's exactly
0: the word. I don't know what it is. It's like you're sort of free of all vanity and you have just got license to completely transform into this other thing um and so weirdly it does a lot of my job for me maybe not a lot but some of my job for me um and and I love it and that's what I love about acting is transforming and, and sort of escaping myself to be honest it's just a lovely relief to not <laughs> be in my head for a while and so that definitely gives me that and scratches that itch um it's hard work with the prosthetics but I do really like it
1: It's interesting, you've said that acting gives you the chance to escape from being in your own head for a while because going back to your early days, you've said that you've always been a a light-hearted person with very dark taste uh, and that you even wrote your own horror films. So what were they like and what is going on in uh, Karen's head?
0: (laughs) Um, The horror films were probably heavily based on those cheesy 90s slasher process of elimination horror movies such as uh I know what you did last summer these sort of teen things uh loved them couldn't get enough of them and so yeah I would write horror films kind of in the vein of that where I was sort of this teenage murderer and then I got caught by my dad and then I killed my dad um we have a great relationship (laughs) it sounds like a therapist would have a field day but he was just my favorite actor in the household
1: (laughs) Where's the taste for darkness then?
0: Where does that come from? I think that I inherited that from my mother. So I think I've got a really silly personality, like my dad. But my mum is also silly, but she loves a horror film, like, and she loves all things ghosts. Like every time she comes down uh, from Scotland to London, I'm not joking. She spends hours on the tube. Like she'll just sit going around all like we just like we're like where is she? And she's been on the tube for three hours, and then she comes home and she's like, I saw a ghost. <laughs>
1: Well, and she finds the underground particularly well haunted, does she?
0: Like, it's pretty much guaranteed that she's going to see a ghost every time she goes on the underground. Extraordinary.
1: Um, Now, when you were 15, you tried writing to every agent in Scotland until one took you on. Where, Where did that desire to act come from? Who were your role models?
0: I think I initially sort of got drawn to the arts through singing Um, and my dad is such a music lover um, and a singer himself Um, and so he introduced me to all of the these great singers like Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald Elvis, um, and then I became absolutely obsessed with all things performance, like completely obsessed. It was all I wanted to be around and look at and do, but I was actually quite scared to get on stage. I had really bad stage fright. So um, a lot of years were spent just with the desire to do it, but not really getting up there. And then eventually I did. And then that introduced me to acting just through doing sort of musical theater classes. And then the acting just completely took over just all of a sudden I was completely obsessed with it and that's what I wanted to do. Um, And so I decided to, um, I started classes and then I wrote to all of the agents in Scotland and then one of them took me on, thank you, Doug.
1: There you go, Doug. There's a big thanks for Doug. Um, But you did move to London aged 18 uh, in order to pursue your dream. But you actually decided to drop out of the Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts, uh, pull pints in a pub and audition instead. Why did you decide that was a better fit for you? What was it about acting classes that 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 you decided you didn't want or need?
0: Um, I did, I did like the classes um, and I probably, I definitely did meet them. <laughs> I just think I was itching. I, I sort of had like such a really strong drive since I was a teenager to make this happen. And I was in this crazy rush to do it as well. I don't know why I was just like, I've got to make this happen. Um, and I had this agent, Doug, and he had gotten me an audition for a Scottish television show called Rebus um, to be on one episode. And I, went to the audition and then got it and then my drama school um, said that you can't actually do professional work until later in your training and so I was like oh no so then I just dropped out of the school I was like I'm going to do this because I'm not going to pass up this opportunity I I truly thought I'd made it for my eight days of filming (laughs) and then afterwards I was like oh I'm gonna have to work in a pub now so that's what happened
1: But that's also a strange bit of advice or, uh, you know, or or a strange edict, isn't it? Because actually, you know, as an actor, as you know perfectly well, it's hard to get work and you have to grab it where you can. And certainly when you're a student, you know, anything that can go on your CV or improve your skills or why would you not take work when you get it offered?
0: Yeah, I know. I don't understand that thinking. I mean, I remember, it was a long time ago now, but I remember vaguely um, the whole idea is that you're just not ready to go out there yet until your third year. I don't know what the process is, but I think there's no better way to learn than actually doing the thing. Um, I mean, just the amount of knowledge I got from eight days of just understanding how a film set works, because I did not know what I was doing at all or what any of the equipment did. So it was a huge um, learning curve for me. Um, And you weren't so you weren't weren't pulling grants for long. No, it wasn't too bad, actually. Luckily, that did lead to just a, a steady career in acting because the director of that episode of Rebus ended up helping me get an agent in London. And then I was able to do it full time.
1: Yes, because you were just uh, 21 when you got your breakthrough role as as Doctor Who's Amy Pond in 2010, amassing this uh, zealous fan base of Whovians, not sure whether you wanted them or not, but you got them, and indeed international fame. how, how did you cope with 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 that sort of sudden fame being thrust into the spotlight so quickly and and playing a role that so many people had opinions about? Because the thing about Doctor Who is it lives in our living rooms, doesn't it? And
0: so everyone feels that
1: they have they're invested in it.
0: Yeah, there is something interesting to that of like people feel they know you more when you are in their living rooms rather than when you're on a cinema screen in in films. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Um I was 21, but I had like this blind optimism of youth. I was really ready for it. I mean, I'd been working towards this, you know, since uh, for years, like an early teenager. Um, and so when it came, I was like, just unbelievably ready for it and took it in my stride. I think if it happened to me now, I'd be way more thrown off balance at <laughs> the time. I was just like, yep, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. And I can do it.
1: Karen, since then, uh, since Doctor Who, really, uh, every project has just kind of grown and grown. There's been no dips. They've just grown, escalated, uh, which must come with its own set of pressures, really. I mean, I talked about the box office uh, you know, success of, of the films, but also just the sort of size of them. I think uh, luckily when you were feeling a, a bout of self-doubt on the set of The Circle, Tom Hanks gave you a bit of a pep talk. Tell us what Tom Hanks said. We all love Tom Hanks.
0: <laughs> Doesn't Everyone just loves Tom Hanks. He is truly the best. And he is actually one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life he goes out of his way to just make everybody feel comfortable. Um, but no, he took me aside after the, the film had actually played for the first time in a cinema, like at the premiere. And he said, um, I mean, this is cringe for me to be quoting, but <laughs> he was like, you know, you're you're really good. Um and I had actually just been suffering such a bout of self doubt where I was like, Oh my goodness, this whole thing is so intimidating. Like as you said, like each project was building in pressure and scale and um and so I I guess I didn't have any self doubt when I was younger, but it certainly hit later. Um it's usually the other way around. But for me it did for that that for some reason. Uh, but yeah, Tom saying that just was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I think he's absolutely brilliant. I mean one of the best actors in the world Um so to hear that from him was just i don't know it felt like a weird sign (laughs) or something (laughs) of like yes you are on the right track
1: yeah and the right person to be giving advice Um, and does it still feel a little bit surreal being part of the marvel world you know do you do you have pinch me moments and are their fans as zealous as the Whovians? I imagine actually not because you're, you're less in contact with them aren't you? I mean th- th- there is something very approachable about television like I said it being in the living room.
0: Yeah Oh, I think the, the Who fans are the most passionate actually. I've done a fair few conventions and I can definitely compare them there's a lot of Marvel fans but the Who fans are the most devoted I would say um, and being part of Marvel has completely pinched me. I mean, it's very surreal sitting around with all of the superheroes all together eating lunch and you're just like, what is going on?
1: You <laughs> um, also shot your first movie, The Parties, just beginning back in 2017, writing, directing and starring in the story based around a news article you'd read on, on the male suicide epidemic in the Scottish Highlands. Um, you know, it's completely at odds with the acting career that, that we see you embarked on. You know, how do you balance the two and how did the experience of writing and directing, uh, uh, as well as acting in it, compare? Does, has it whetted your appetite for a more independent
0: creative life? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just loved it. I had the best experience. It, you know, it felt exactly like the horror films <laughs> that I was making as a child, but just slightly bigger scale but we didn't have that big of a budget it wasn't you know a big huge movie by any means but like I just had a few more people to help me make my films and that's what it felt like Um, and in some ways easier because I actually had a means to edit the film Uh, compared to when I was younger I would have to hit pause on my video camera and then set up for the next scene and if anything went wrong I had to start from the beginning of the whole film because I could never get back to the right point (laughs) to hit pause again um so I'm like guys this is easy now (laughs) but no I love it and I definitely want to direct more films that's 100% in my future and also
1: writing and do you keep going in between films? How does it work? Because I know that being on one of those huge film sets is incredibly time-consuming and leaves, uh, you know, room for almost nothing else while you're actually in production. And you must be in production a lot of the time.
0: Um, yeah, the films are long. Like, they can last, like, five months to film. Um, but I I remember being on the first Jumanji film and I storyboarded my, my film, my whole film. <laughs> I storyboarded it because I wanted to leave no room for error and I was, you know, scared. It was my first one. So I storyboarded the whole film while on the set of Jumanji. So it's just like doing things in between all the time. Um which is actually quite fun for me. Um and yet I've had a little bit of time off recently. So I've been writing my next feature, which I need to put down, but I keep changing it. Um so hopefully that'll be done soon.
1: You need to be careful or you'll have the producers of Jumanji asking for some of the feedback. If you were dual rolling while you were making it.
0: I know, can you imagine if I got mixed up? Do you think that more
1: needs to be done to encourage female filmmakers to pursue direction? Is too much still, uh, you know, from the male perspective, but also is there still too much of a sense that, 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 that it's an unusual thing rather than an absolutely normal thing for a woman to be directing?
0: Yeah, we're definitely not at the point where it's absolutely normal, I would say. I think it's still a little bit of a novelty when it's a female director. We're still using phrases like female-led, female-helmed, um which sort of tells me that we're not quite at the point where it's completely normal um, and an even split. Um but I'm hoping that we can get there. I mean, there there definitely has been moves in the right direction. Like to give some credit to the industry being a female filmmaker, I'm seeing all of these opportunities come my way because I'm a female and a director. And so, um, and I just wanna make my own stuff, but like I can see that they are making a concerted effort to um, try and have a female in the role um, of director. Uh, So that's really nice to see, but yeah, we're definitely, I, I would love to just get the word out as much as possible so that young women will grow up thinking of that as a possibility as a career. Because I actually didn't, even though I was doing it from a young age.
1: And I suppose we'll only know as well when progress has been made, when we're not commenting on the fact that something like Gunpad and Milkshake has an all-female cast. Because we never really say an all-male cast, because that's perfectly normal, isn't it?
0: That's exactly Um, it. Yeah.
1: You live in L.A. now, which is definitely not like Inverness, where you were brought up. Do you miss Scotland? I know that I find in L.A. the lack of seasons extremely distressing. And, of course, in Scotland, you have many seasons every single day. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you miss the most? And do you think you'll go back? And do you get lonely? And is it weird? And what are the weirdest bits?
0: Uh, I miss Scotland so much. I'm constantly homesick. Me, so my parents also moved out to Los Angeles, which is nice because it feels like we have our little pod out here. Um, but they my mum is unbelievably homesick as well. My dad is English, so he's not yearning for Scotland in the way that we are. <laughs> but we yeah, we we miss it so much. Um and LA is yeah there's no seasons and I hate that too I would much rather be in a cold place and then just have those joyous days where it's miraculously hot rather than just having it all year round because I'm a ginger I don't do well and for some reason I just I don't know that this is my city I don't know what it is I just can't vibe with it and yet I am still here (laughs) Do you not think that it might be time to come home,
1: in which case, because obviously the the, the film industry here has really taken off, particularly in terms of productions being made uh, here in the UK, I mean, uh, you know, in Scotland and an awful lot in London. Would it be possible for you to work to the same extent that you are now and and live in the UK or is it is it just a compromise that you've had to make, you know, reluctantly?
0: I think I had to make it initially to get my career started out here. But to be honest, now that everything's so online, uh, it doesn't really matter where you live. Like, you can make a self tape, you can audition for something, or you can take a meeting with a director from anywhere, as we've seen um, over the last year, especially uh, over Zoom. And so it doesn't really matter. But now I've just been here for so long, I've got like ties and stuff. (laughs) Annoying. I know I know but I don't know if I'm gonna end up here um I keep ending up here back here I tried to move to New York for a while and still kind of do that like I've I've kept a place over there so I can go there whenever I need to so I do have that it's halfway home
1: yeah, you're hot, you're 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 on your way back when you get there, but not quite yeah. back. Just finally, uh, you know, aside from acting, writing, directing, working constantly, uh, is the time for anything else. You mentioned you've got a puppy. Are you one of those sort of pounding on the fire roads around LA, or what do you do in your spare time?
0: <laughs> um, I walk my puppy. I. I guess the writing has taken up a lot of my free time. And I have like side projects that I'm interested in doing that are sort of outside of the acting world. Like I'm I'm building an app that I'm really excited about. Um so yeah, my, those are my hobbies. It's I I kind of don't want to say too much because I want to like announce it properly, but it's um it's an app that lots of people can use. <laughs> and what, it's also is that kind it? of evolving right now. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, sorry. <laughs> It's also in the middle of a huge pivot because one day I turned around and said this should be something completely different. (laughs) So we're kind of figuring out exactly what it is, but um, it'll be a way for people to communicate with each other.
1: Well, I get, you mean like social media?
0: No, not quite, but a form of communication.
1: (laughs) Do you like social media?
0: (laughs) I do. Yeah. I really like Instagram. I think it's an excellent, well done app. I do know that there's a toxic side to social media but it's like anything it can be used for good or bad and there are some really great things that have come out of it I mean it's just given so many people voices that weren't heard before so I think that's a wonderful thing
1: Thanks for listening to Mariella meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time.